Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone. This is Slash Film Daily for July 10th, 2017. Slash Film Daily is a daily podcast published each weekday uh, talking about the latest news and information from SlashFilm.com. Uh, today in the water cooler, we will talk about Snowfall and Orange is New Black. And in the news, we'll be talking about Spider-Man Homecoming director John Watts. Is he confirmed for a sequel? Is he not confirmed? How Thor Ragnarok will change the MCU. And the first three episode titles and synopsises for Game of Thrones Season 7 have been revealed. What might they tell us about the upcoming season? In the mailbag, we'll be answering a question about television and what we have in our DVRs. And in spoilers... Bradford Omen will be joining us to talk about the end credit scenes for Spider-Man Homecoming. But let's get right into the news. On, on today, once again, we have Ben Pearson from SlashFilm.com. Hey, what's going on, Peter? What have, what have you been up to? Have you been watching so, anything interesting? Yeah, Orange is the New Black. is. Uh, I'm almost done with the, uh, I believe it's the fifth season, the most recent season on Netflix right now. And um, this season basically... Uh, a riot breaks out in the prison. So it's a much different dynamic than all of the previous seasons where everyone has sort of had to uh, fall in line and deal mm. with the guards and all of that kind of stuff. This one is way more, they've just like basically thrown a grenade into the formula of the show and just blown the whole thing up from the inside out. So it's a lot different this year. Um, I have still been digging it for the most part. There's one episode that's shot almost exactly like a horror movie. It's very um, obvious with its references to Psycho and things like that, um, that I kind of enjoyed the the stylistic flair of that particular episode. Uh, and it's, you know, it's just as tense as ever. Um, and, uh, you know, there, there are some highs and lows for sure. But uh, and I actually have no idea how this episode, uh, the season is going to end. So I guess that says something about the the sort of batshit nature of where this season has gone but uh but yeah overall i've enjoyed it i have not watched orange is the new black yet i should say and um after watching glow i'm a little curious to check it out but i, th I feel like i'm already behind yeah like you definitely are <laughs> like I, I i feel like i would have to it's it's too much work to catch yeah, up and is. be part of the zeitgeist of that show it's a lot yeah this week on AMC, I watched the new show Snowfall that's produced by John Singleton, and it's a look at the early days of the crack cocaine epidemic in Los Angeles during the beginning of the 1980s. 
and it's a very stylistic show and it's an ensemble cast showing the epidemic from a variety of different viewpoints one being a cia agent another being uh someone selling crack on the streets and you know a, a big uh cocaine uh operation it so it, it it's interesting but the first episode w- which was compelling i feel like i didn't quite get where this is going or what you know how some of these characters are connected to each other i'm gonna keep on watching it i, I would highly recommend it if you're into um very stylistic shows it, mm-hmm. it has a great soundtrack and uh there's some beautiful drone i think they're drone it's either drone or cg and it looks amazing of like going high up above la Cool. But that's uh, Snowfall, and that's on AMC. Let's get into the news. First up on the news, Spider-Man Homecoming came out this weekend. Director John Watts is not confirmed for the sequel, or so he says. Um, <laughs> it, it, even though he says he's not confirmed for a sequel, Tom Holland hilariously tells Entertainment Weekly that Watts is coming back. Holland has notoriously been really bad at keeping cigarettes and has you know can't keep his mouth shut and you know says things he shouldn't say all the time we've already chronicled this last week on the slash film daily um what do you think what do you think the the real case is do you think he's on board or do you think he's not on board I think he's probably I think they've definitely had conversations about him coming back. I think especially with the movie um, doing as well as it has, you know, performing as well as it has critically. I think uh, there's a very strong likelihood that he'll come back. Um, I don't think that I've read anything with interviews or anything like that where he's talked about any other projects that he has lined up or anything else that he wants to do. So I would not be surprised if he becomes sort of the Spider-Man guy uh, after everyone seems to just be loving homecoming and for good reason. So I, I would be happy to see him come back and, you know, lead the charge once again. It is interesting though. If you think about it, there's been 10 years of Marvel movies. Now we're doing like three a year or something like that. Mm-hmm. And there has only been two directors that have come back and directed a sequel that directed the original film. Whedon for Avengers and Avengers two. Oh, Josh Whedon. And okay, then... so I am wrong. So there is three already, right? Yeah, yeah, three already, and then the Russo brothers might count as, you know, they came on board the sequel. So I guess, so I right. guess it isn't a rare occurrence. Yeah, it's um, not unprecedented. I'm just wondering if John Watts, seeing his early film, Cop Car, mm-hmm. I, I just assume that he might be wanting to do more interesting, important films, not, you know, these big blockbuster <laughs> comic book sequels that, you know, have are governed by not only Marvel Studios, but Sony, and you have all this oversight. But I could be wrong. It seemed like he yeah. had fun doing this one. Yeah, and he seemed to really, you know, thrive within those confines. So I think uh, if he had a good time doing it, I wouldn't be surprised to see him come back. I think the case is that he has not officially signed on board, but he's talked a lot about what they're going to do for the next one. And that's why Holland said he's coming back. Yeah. Um, yeah. But next in news, another Marvel story. Thor Ragnarok is going to drastically change the marvel cinematic universe and build directly into avengers infinity war you wrote the story for slash film.com what can you tell us about it yes so kevin feige the president of uh, marvel studios and the producer of all of the marvel movies uh, spoke with the toronto sun and basically said that uh 
Thor Ragnarok is going to be the end of a Thor trilogy. He said, uh, we did three Iron Man films, three Captain America films, three Thor films. Things change drastically in Ragnarok and then build directly into Infinity War. So I think based on sort of speculation and what we've seen so far, uh, when he says things change drastically, my thought is that um, that basically means that Ragnarok is going to live up to its title and show the Norse apocalypse, show Asgard getting completely destroyed, which we've already seen it be set on fire in one of the trailers. Um, Kate Blanchett's character, Hela, uh, there's been a lot of talk about how she might be the stand-in for the character of death in the comics because Thanos uh, basically becomes infatuated with death and sets out to destroy all of these planets and things like that in the comics at the end of avengers there's that end credit scene where they said destroy earth is to court death and you know he smiles or something right. like that that's yeah paraphrasing so there's been there's been a lot of uh, uh, a lot of talk about how Cate Blanchett might sort of slide into that role because marvel studios has been really great about not um directly adapting stories from the comics and they've been good about uh you know recognizing that film is a different medium and um sort of you know altering the stories to fit the uh, the medium that they're working in instead of being you know sort of slavish to the source material so i would not be surprised if uh kate blanchett who is obviously a terrific actress would sort of slide into that part and you know interact with josh brolin's thanos in uh, upcoming movies, including Infinity War, I think that might be where uh, Feige is sort of hinting at when he says that uh, Ragnarok is going to build directly into Infinity War. I don't think we've seen anything about Josh Brolin having a secret cameo in Ragnarok, but I wouldn't be surprised if that happened as well, if they were able to sort of keep that on the down low. Um, and that would be a nice way to sort of bridge the gap between Ragnarok and Infinity War and make that, um, you know, a, a hard line, draw a hard line between those two films don't know what the fifth infinity stone is that is probably going to be revealed either in thor ragnarok or black panther so moving on to our last bit of news and this is a piece of game of thrones news i'm not a, i don't know a lot about game of thrones you are more of the game of thrones expert uh the first three episode titles and synopsis have been revealed yes you wrote the article for slashfilm.com what can you tell us about this yeah, so the the first three episodes of Game of Thrones Season 7 have titles. They are Dragonstone, Stormborn, and The Queen's Justice. Uh, Dragonstone and Stormborn obviously being um, uh, references to Daenerys Targaryen, and her, her ancestral home is called Dragonstone. We've seen in the trailers that she returns to Westeros finally uh, after many years away and sort of sets up her base of operations at Dragonstone, and that is going to happen in the first episode of the new season. Uh, Stormborn is one of her nicknames, one of her many. Uh, this, she has this huge list of names that she's referred to as throughout the series. Uh, that is the second episode, and that one um, basically features uh, a revolt with Jon Snow in the north, and that's going to be sort of an interesting thing that shows that these guys, the showrunners of the show, are basically just diving right in in episode two and immediately having a revolt because things seem to be going fairly well at the end of last season. So they are not wasting any time. They are they are definitely getting down to efficient storytelling since this is the second to last season. And then uh, the third episode is called The Queen's Justice, and this because now there are two queens in Game of Thrones in 
in uh, Danny and Cersei Lannister. Um, I'm guessing this is going to have some sort of double meaning, and both of those characters are going to play major roles in that particular episode. Uh, the most tantalizing bit here is... Uh, in the descriptions, which again you can read at Slash Film, uh, the description for the third episode says that Cersei returns a gift, and it's it's very vague and very mysterious. I'm not entirely certain what that means, but all I know is it's not going to be a good thing for whoever she's returning that gift to, because uh, we <laughs> the last time we saw Cersei, she's basically lost everything that she's built, and uh, she is pissed off and extremely dangerous. So, um, yeah, you can read some more uh, yeah. speculation at, at the site, but, uh, but yeah, that's what I got so far. Hmm. Gifts, winter is coming, Christmas must be here, and returning <laughs> gifts. That's as much as I know about Game of Thrones. Okay, anyways, uh, that is it for the news. We're going to move on to the mailbag. Mitch S., he writes to us and says, television is on fire, not just with great shows like Glow, Preacher, and Game of Thrones, but also with companies like Netflix and Amazon joining the fray. It's almost too much. What's your take on television industry today, and where do you think it's heading? And also, for fun, what's on your DVR? Okay, so let's let's start at the beginning of that question. And the question is, I guess, what's your take on the television industry today? Is there too much? I mean, people are calling it peak TV because there's almost too much to watch. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's less of a shared experience, not only yes. just because of time shifting and, you know, a show being on Netflix and I've watched all of Glow and you haven't even started on it. So I can't have a conversation like I would have with Lost where each mm-hmm. episode came out each week, um, which is kind of a shame. That's why I, I, I kind of um, I kind of like that like shows like HBO with Westworld, that experience that we're having with the theories and the weekly discussions because we're all kind of having this communal experience and I think that we're losing that with the current era of Amazon and Netflix. Not that I don't like Amazon and Netflix. What, what do you think of the current television industry? Yeah, I mean, I think you've pretty much nailed it there. It is extremely overwhelming when you think about all the things that everyone seems to be talking about, and it's almost like impossible to keep up with. Uh, it, it's you know, you sort of sit there and wonder how everyone has enough time to watch all of this stuff. And I think the real answer is that nobody really does. Um, it just sort of seems like it because there's this collective voice out there that's always talking about this show or that show or whatever. So it's sort of uh, a game of priorities for me right now. Um, I think the, the uh, thing that you mentioned about the shared experience uh, is becoming more rare, but it's also when it happens, it's so great. Like with Westworld, like even with um, Showtime's Twin Peaks right now, that's even more so than Westworld because uh, Showtime has not given out any press screeners to TV critics. So they don't even get to see the episode, you know, a handful of days or weeks beforehand to prepare their uh, recaps or reviews or whatever. Um, they're basically forced to watch it with the rest of us all at once and nobody has seen these episodes before except for maybe like a development executive or something so it's um it's sort of a crazy uh return to the old way that um that i sort of respect and appreciate uh that kind of thing when it happens which as you mentioned yeah it's becoming more and more rare um yeah it, it is <laughs> it's also interesting just... because there, there's also a more discovery happening now i feel like the first i kind of heard of this was like with downtown downtown abbey I, i'm get i'm seeing that happen week after week people discovering 
you know, some Netflix original show that no one was talking about or do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's, it's more about like finding these gems. Yeah. And I think Breaking Bad is probably like the definitive um, early example of that. Right. Like the first couple seasons of Breaking Bad were not um, highly watched. But as soon as that show went on Netflix, everyone sort of discovered it and had the ability to catch up quickly and easily. And then uh, it sort of became the. Um, phenomenon that it was in its later years but uh but yeah right now it's like it's it's sort of like you have to just uh come to grips with the fact that you're never going to be able to watch everything at once and just sort of prioritize based on your own interests and stuff like that but uh what about you peter what's on your dvr right now well before we get to that i want to talk about where you think this might be heading where the tv industry is heading and i um i'm not sure if i have a, a really good guess on this that I, I personally, I'm a huge cinephile and I love movies, but I feel like more of my attention these days is on television. And there's so much great TV and great long term storytelling that you can't, you know, you can't have a 20 hour story in the cinema mm-hmm. as much as Marvel would like to do that. Um, and I think that seeing more and more of those kind of things, I, I, I think. We're going to, you know what, one, one trend that I've noticed, and I've written about this on SlashFilm.com, and I think we mentioned this a, a couple episodes ago, is that some TV shows on these uh, premium services like HBO or Netflix or Amazon are not conforming to a one-hour or half-hour time slot. That was such a... a thing of the past of, like, you know, you had to program a TV channel and you had to you know, have a you know, certain amount of commercials, so you had a certain amount of time for your show, and that story had to conform to that time. Mm-hmm. And I think we're beginning to see a bunch of these shows play with that, of like a story could be a half an hour or it could be an hour and a half. You know, Game mm-hmm. of Thrones is going to have some feature-length episodes. Um, right. The OA had a half an hour episode. It had one that was an hour and a half. And I think that is going to be very interesting going forward because I think uh, that would allow – to tell smaller stories and not have, you know, a lot of padding to them, mm-hmm. um, but also tell more epic, grand scale stories uh, from week to week or episode to episode. So that's my prediction of where TV is going. Yeah, I would love to see that happen uh, and continue to happen on a more macro scale. I have to admit that I'm feeling a little, little pessimistic about it. I feel like a bubble is about to burst at some points because these companies are throwing so much money into all of these shows and everyone's attention, as we've already uh, discussed, is being splintered so far that eventually I feel like it's just going to become untenable. So I'm, I'm not sure what the ultimate uh, end game is, but I, I feel like it's going to be um, a collapse of sorts of this kind of uh, golden age of peak TV. Um, yeah, where, and it was reported you know, last last month that Netflix now has more U.S. subscribers than all of cable TV. So wow. that's insane. And they, they even them who they've been you know handing out money like it's candy on Halloween, mm-hmm. and uh, they've started canceling shows and popular shows with fans that they, they used to be the ones that would save like right. Sense Eight canceling. So. I think you're right. I think that we are seeing a little bit of the, a preclude of that. 
Yeah. I mean, I think everyone should just enjoy it while they can right now. And uh, and then I guess the, the good news is that all of these Netflix shows that they're pumping money into will be there forever because they own the rights to them. And so even after the bubble uh, inevitably bursts, people will still be able to go back and watch Glow and Orange is the New Black and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, we'll see how it plays and, out. And another trend I would like to see more of is also the way tr- TV shows are traditionally run is a showrunner or producer kind of plans everything out and oversees it kind of in the way that Kevin Feige at Marvel does with those mm-hmm. films and directors come in to direct an episode, but they're not kind of, I want to say as creatively hand, hands on. Um, right. But we're seeing this trend with like Mr. Robot and also um, true detective where one filmmaker will come in and direct a whole series, I mean, a whole uh, season of shows. Mm-hmm. So so it will almost end up being like they're coming in and doing a really long movie. It, 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 it's a work from that one filmmaker, you know, a, a really long piece of work. And I'd like right. to see more of that happen. But and I know David Fincher has tried to do that and has been unsuccessful in getting his uh, series st- started at the various networks. Um the Coen but brothers I, are doing it soon, so that's yes. something. That, yeah, that, that that might be interesting as well. Um, okay, so what what is on your DVR, Ben? So I'm watching uh, Preacher. That's always there. Um, and then uh, really the stuff that, I, like I said, I watch a lot of Netflix, but the stuff that's on my DVR right now is just um, Turner Classic Movies. I've recently sort of discovered or rediscovered uh, TCM. Uh, it's like hidden on the on the Time Warner Spectrum uh, channel listings that I have. It's like way up in the 600s or something. So I haven't really, I, I sort of forget about it now and again. But recently I, I discovered it and just have DVR'd like 30 different movies or something. My DVR is at like, I don't know, 80% or something like that because it's all just stuffed with, uh, you know, classic movies that, things that I've never seen before. Like I just watched Roman Holiday for the first time uh, relatively recently. And that was uh, a really great experience. And like, oh man, you know, I don't have to. I still have the Netflix disc plan, but I've I've dropped that down to like two discs a month or something. Because um, a lot of times there's just not uh, the older stuff is not streaming on Netflix anymore. So, but I still like to you know uh, fill out my cinematic diet, as it were, with uh, with some older things here and there. And TCM is a really great way to do that. So I would recommend if uh, anybody else has sort of forgotten about that channel, check it out. And there's always really cool stuff on there. I love when TCM allows a filmmaker to program a night or a few nights of films and I'll usually DVR them. I, I, I can't remember exactly what the last one was. Maybe it was Edgar Wright. No, it's it, it, baby drivers on my mind. I, I, I forget yeah. who the last one. Oh, it was La La Land. The, the, uh, the filmmaker. Oh, uh, Damien Chazelle. Yeah. He programmed a couple nights of Turner classic movies and that oh, was cool. pretty interesting. Um, on my DVR, uh, I think it's, it's not going to surprise you. It's you know Fargo, Mr. Robot, um, Better Call Saul. I'm I'm more I'm kind of in an AMC groove at this point, and mm-hmm. um, I'm trying to think what else. Uh, you know, I, I have a lot of like um, I wouldn't call them serious drama. You know, like uh, more fun <laughs> shows. Like you know, I love watching Shark Tank every uh, fr- Friday night, and there's a show like called The Prophet on MSNBC, which is great but it's you know it's it's n- not the same kind of thing and uh yeah i'll, I'll even watch i think some... my 
I was just going to say my version of that is um, Parts Unknown, the Anthony Bourdain show on CNN where oh, he yeah. just goes around to different countries and stuff. So, yeah, that's sort of uh, my version. That is great. And the cinematography on that is great, too. Uh, yeah, for the, sure. The uh, And I would say the junkiest thing on my on my DVR is a Bravo show called uh, Million Dollar Listing New York, which follows some real estate agents in Manhattan. And it's uh, totally really bad but i like watching it um yeah but uh so that that is what is on my dvr i kind of gave up on preacher very early on and i have not finished legion as much as i loved that pilot i just can't find myself yeah want to, i will bring myself to watch it I, will, I gave up on legion as well i will say preacher season two is really great so far um it's way 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 better than the first season i stuck with it because i had a feeling that it was going to get really good in season two and they have not disappointed so far so if you can make it through the first season which i realize is a big ask for a lot of people it's a uh, it's a lot of stuff to get through but um for fans of the comics who sort of know what's coming in the storyline ahead uh i think it's worth uh sort of putting your head down getting through that first season if you can and then just really reveling in what they're doing in the second season so far which is pretty awesome cool and that is it for the mailbag if you have a question that you want us to answer please email us at peter at slash film.com and you can also send us your feedback on the show uh, we're trying to get it down to under 30 minutes i know that we have been unsuccessful on that many times trust me we we are aiming for under 30 minutes uh but yeah so please send us your questions leave your name in your general geographic location so we can mention it on the show and uh we will try to answer the best ones on future editions slash film daily ben where can we find more of your work online you can track me down at slashfeld.com and you can find me on twitter at twitter.com slash ben pairs and now in the spoiler room we have Bradford Omen, who you know as Ethan Anderton on SlashFilm.com, and he is here to talk about the ending credit scenes for Spider-Man Homecoming. So if you have not seen Spider-Man Homecoming, please shut this off right now. You have been warned. Here we go. Brad, are you there? I am here, and it is spoiling hot with all these Spider-Man Homecoming credit scene spoilers we have. Yes, uh... They've cut down from Guardians of the Galaxy. There's not six of them. There's only two. Well, there were only five in Guardians of the Galaxy, but yeah, there's only, there's, five, yeah. There's only two. Um, and really, and... Only, only one of them is quote-unquote significant, even though the other one is also great. But there's only one that really seems to have any sort of impact or hint as to like what's to come in the future of spider-man in the marvel cinematic universe yeah. and that one is obviously captain america at the end of the movie right in his speech I... about patience exactly because we all have to have patience and know when to wait for things so that they'll come to us in due time is this the funniest after credit scene for any marvel movie um probably i think it is yeah, I mean, I mean if anything if anything I just like the fact that it's very cheeky and self-aware and kind of like is like almost like a a little bit of a jab to fans being like haha we made you wait yeah. and this is just a silly thing. <laughs> and it's also like breaking the fourth wall talking to the audience almost like a Ferris Bueller which this movie has done a lot of 80s kind of stuff already. Yeah. Um I think it would be t- between this and the shawarma scene in Avengers I think would be the two. But I think this is funnier. 
I would I would say the only, the one the only one that could maybe give it a run for its money, and even though it's not an end credit sequence, it's still a mid credit sequence. Is uh, Baby Potted Groot dancing with Drax, constantly trying to catch him dancing? Yeah, how how could we forget that one? Uh, that one is iconic. Um, and you know what? Before we get to the 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 one that you were alluding to, I would like to say that you know they have said that Spider Man is going to team up with another. Avenger in the next Spider-Man Homecoming movie. I think it's going to be Captain America. I think it makes the most sense for it to be Captain America, if only because, you know, they're both from New York. They had that little nice little exchange in Civil War. And uh, Tom Holland himself has even even said in an interview recently that he would like Captain America sort of to be like the next mentor for Spider-Man. So I I hope that's what they do. And I I think they would have a good dynamic of him being kind of like this old school guy and him being a kid and not wanting to fall, you know, the rebellious kid. Um, Yeah. And I and I think John Watts even said he wants to see he wants to see Peter Parker opposite um, Black Widow and be like, you know, the shy Peter Parker against, you know, this kind of like superstar woman Avenger. Um, and I think that would be funny, but I, I, I think it's going to be Captain America. Okay. So let's get to the, the meat of this story. Let's get to the, the one that is before that it's in the mid credits, right? Yeah. The mid credits right after they have this, uh, sort of like hand drawn illustrated credit sequence following the end of the movie. Uh, we cut to a scene with Michael Keaton, who is walking through prison, uh, having been apprehended, uh, by law enforcement after Spider-Man stopped him from uh, getting all of Tony Stark's goodies that were being transferred up to the new Avengers facility in upstate New York. And as Michael Keaton's character, Adrian Toomes, is walking, uh, being escorted through prison, he gets stopped by a criminal who we met in the middle of the movie. Uh, and this was during the scene on the ferry when there's supposed to be an illegal weapons exchange. The guy who was there getting the weapons from tombs um it's a guy named uh you hear him referred to as gargan uh yeah. and his his full name is actually mcdonald quote-unquote mac gargan and he gets and apprehended by the fbi that, that, in that scene i'm sorry and that that's the guy that's played by michael mandu mandow yeah he's played it's <laughs> michael michael mando and uh, you've seen him as uh nacho on better call saul um and so he he gets uh, we don't see this happen, but he apparently he gets arrested by the FBI in that scene who uh, Tony Stark called. And so he's in this prison and he confronts uh, Michael Keaton's character, Adrian Toomes, in there. And he's like, he's like, don't worry. He's like, I'm not going to you know, hurt you or anything like that. He's like, but uh, some people I got some people on the outside and they told me that you might know who this Spider-Man guy is. And Adrian Toomes like uh, d- doesn't bat an eye and he goes, if I knew who he was, he'd be dead already. And so he just kind of walks away. And, that's and he has a smirk on his face too. And you he, know the first, does. the first viewing of this, I didn't know what this was alluding to. It, it kind of like went over my head. And I even asked Kevin Feige and producer Amy Pascal about this. And you can hear a clip of that right now. I'm a little curious because I'm I'm not quite sure if I'm picking up on what's being hinted at there. What do you think it means? What do you think? I mean, all it seems like Toombs doesn't want to kill Peter Parker for some reason. Is that because he's hoping to get out and kill him himself? Or what? Does it seem like what he, his smile is saying? I don't know. <laughs> I feel like it wasn't as obvious as some of the other in credit sequences. I think, it, I think yeah, it is different from, 
from the other credit sequences, and I think people are conditioned to look for a, a forward-facing uh, tease about what's to come, but that's not always, maybe not even half the time, what our tags are about. Certainly the one at the very end of the movie is clearly not that. But this was, this was basically, you know, just meant to show that that Toom, you know, was not a horrible guy, had found himself in this position, and realized this kid saved his daughter, this kid saved his own life, he wouldn't even be alive um, uh, if it wasn't for this kid. And in that moment where he had the opportunity to rat him out and have a guy go after him, he decided to keep the secret because he, he appreciated uh, ultimately what Peter did for him. And I understood it. One of the few villains to survive yeah. um, a movie, and I think he appreciated it. So, it is clear now that the vulture, Michael Keaton's character, is kind of, you know, he doesn't want harm on Peter Parker. He Yeah, I mean, it kind of, it sounds like it's it's really just meant to be a scene that like gives him redemption so that you don't think that he's going to come back in any sort of villainous way. Like maybe he's kind of just accepted the fact that he what he was doing was wrong and you know and he doesn't feel the need to put Peter Parker in harm's way or seek any vengeance against him. But I will say I, that I, I thought maybe the smirk at first was that he wanted to get the revenge himself when he gets out of prison eventually, which yeah, I would I, I would think, think he would have a life sentence, but you know this is comics, so you never know. But um, but it seems like it's more of a you know you say he saved my my daughter, and you know I I'm he, and he saved me, so I'm gonna you know call it even. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like, and it's it's weird because, like, like Kevin says, is like the placement of the scene and whatnot. It kind of makes it seem like it it would be a tease for what's to come in the future, but really, it just seems like it's the scene that wraps up maybe what people would have thought is a loose end. And to me, I actually kind of wish that they would have just put that scene in the movie rather than having it be the credits, because by having it a credit scene, it comes with certain teasing connotations that may not be there. But having said that, there still is a bit of a teasing element in this scene because Michael Mando's character, uh, comic book fans will know that McDonald Gar- uh, Gargan is actually a villain who becomes the Scorpion, one of Spider-Man's many rogues uh, from the Spider-Man comics. So, and you, if you if you couldn't figure that out just because you don't know his name, he has a scorpion tattoo right on his neck. <laughs> Uh, so it seems like maybe that at some point this guy could become a more of a more of an important adversary to Spider-Man. But if anything, I maybe see him becoming more of like a second tier villain who just creates a little bit of trouble for him in the same way that, that we had two shockers in Spider-Man Homecoming who were basically just working for Vulture. Yeah, I mean, I did think it was interesting that they cast this guy in this role because he's only in, you know, two scenes, a couple scenes, yeah. a few scenes. And he he's a bigger actor, I would think, to, to have that small of a part, even in a Marvel movie, uh, which seems to, I mean, what you said, him being Scorpion, uh, I'm betting it's going to come back in the future at some point. Michael Keaton has said that he is not signed on for future Marvel movies. Um, but that doesn't but mean I, he can't come back because Michael Douglas wasn't signed on for any future Marvel movies either, and he's coming back for Ant-Man and the Wasp. So anything is possible. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting that Spider-Man and Ant-Man are the only two Marvel characters right now that have secret identities in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, as far as I can think of. 
and I would think that they're like they have to play with that because they haven't had that ability yet. You know, Iron Man revealed he was Iron Man. You know, Tony Stark revealed he was Iron Man at the very end of that first movie. Um, so I'm guessing Spider-Man two is or three, one of those two is going to play with that. And if if I was Scorpion and I knew someone in my prison might know the secret identity of Peter Parker, maybe that would come into play. You know, it could. Some... It definitely could. And plus, you know, we also don't know uh, who these guys are on the outside that Gargan supposedly has feeding him information. So that there could be a whole, you know, network of bad guys wanting to get back at Spider-Man. And for all we know, there we could eventually see the idea of that Sinister Six uh, group of bad guys come to pl- come into play on the big screen. Finally, after they teased it with two amazing Spider-Man movies. And one other thing is, at right before the credits, this isn't an end credit scene, but Aunt May ends up seeing Peter Parker as Spider-Man, catching him in his room. So now she knows. And yeah, uh, how is that going to come into play in the future, do you think? I mean, well, it's it's hard to say because, I mean, it's definitely something that we haven't seen brought to the movies before. Um, both the Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield versions um, really worked hard for Peter Parker to keep his identity as Spider-Man a secret from Aunt May, just so that she wouldn't be uh, scared for him and try to try to stop him. Although I will say that I think there are hints in the original Spider-Man franchise from Sam Raimi that maybe Aunt May kind of had an inkling that maybe Peter was Spider-Man because the way she talks to him sometimes, it's kind of like she's giving Spider-Man advice as well. For sure, uh, especially in, especially in Spider Man Two when he retires and you know he can then he gets convinced to come back, but uh, yeah, so this this will be the first time that Aunt May full on knows that Peter Parker is Spider Man, and since we already know that she you know wanted him to stay out of danger and was extremely worried about him whenever he was away and didn't respond to her calls or text messages, you know, all bets are off as to how protective and how crazy she's going to be about him actually actively going out and being a superhero. <laughs> Oh, for sure. And she didn't like Tony Stark before. Right. Now when she's going to go back and watch those YouTube videos of, you know, Spider-Man helping out in that Berlin airport attack. I'm sure yeah. she's going to be even more pissed at Tony Stark. So anyways, Brad, where can we find more of your work online? I'm always writing at the old slash film dot com. You can find me on Twitter at Ethan underscore Anderton. And I've got my own fun movie podcast with a movie chit chat and games and crack and wise called go flicks yourself. It's available on iTunes and SoundCloud and um, some other good podcast stuff. And you can obviously read Brad's whole article on the Spider-Man end credits scenes on slash film.com. Brad, thanks for joining us. You got it. And that does it for today's edition of Slash Film Daily. You can subscribe to Slash Film Daily on iTunes, Overcast, Google Play, all the popular podcast apps. Please send us your feedback at peter at slashfilm.com. And we will see you tomorrow.